welcome to Creative Block. We're your hosts, V. And Sean, we interview people in the creative industries about their life, work, and hobbies while we doodle jam. We asked people on our social medias if they had specific topics they wanted us to discuss, as well as some drawing prompts. Today, we have with us Moss Lawton. That's me. It's you. That's <laughs> you. Hi, Moss. <laughs> Did I do okay with your name? Is is there any other uh, enunciation that I that I do wrong? No, that's correct. Okay. You're good. Lawton. You know, I wasn't <laughs> yeah. sure if I'm supposed I mean, to. I think the louder the better, but other than that, it's fine. Marcelon! <laughs> That's the way to pronounce it. Yeah, if your mic's not clipping out, you've said it wrong. Yeah, you have to yell it. Yeah, you have to You have to go. <laughs> oh, right. Mars! Mars! Okay, yeah. You have an amazing career. I have to remember to like yell it every time. Yep. Uh, you've, you've done uh, you've done storyboards, you've directed, and you, you just published your first graphic novel. And before the graphic novel, you also did zines. And so you've done comics on the side for a while. That's... This is all also cool. And you know what? I kind of want to get right into it. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to, uh, and I'm actually even going to say, so our patron, Bialins Bear, asked exactly the question that I wanted to ask you, which is, how do you juggle working on your personal work and your studio job at the same time? Oh, God. Uh... Let's get into it. <laughs> um, nobody's going to like this answer, but I'm a workaholic. And uh, I don't recommend doing a graphic novel and an animation job at the same time. Um, it's really, really difficult. I don't see my friends as much as I want to. I'm tired all the time. My body hurts. Um, it's a lot of time management is what it is. Uh <laughs> um tricks for time management. Do you have um, sh share the share the um, yeah, I mean like arcane. For time management, like, I work from 9 to 6 for my day job, and at 6 o'clock I clock out no matter what, unless there is, like, a work emergency. I do not do overtime, ever. Like, you will never catch me doing overtime. So then I can eat dinner and then shift into comics mode after work, where uh, I can change locations from my desk, uh, where I work on animation stuff and then I can take my iPad out into the living room or to a coffee shop or something like that and do comics somewhere else. So I kind of have a separation of um, my animation work and my comics work and it helps me compartmentalize everything. I think that's great. I love that you brought that up as fast because I feel like that is so important to just kind of like rejuvenate or like just kind of like get into like the work mode that is like okay this is this isn't my day job anymore. yeah this is like, my personal project that is so cool how did you like how, what was the process for you starting halloween and and then pursuing the graphic novel because i'm sure like when you started in animation you didn't have you weren't like you didn't start halloween right away right um i kind of did. Uh, so I came up with Halloween when I was doing my first internship uh, right after school. Um, I graduated in 2014 and I started doing a storyboarding internship at Blue Sky that like end of summer, late uh, early fall um, kind of semester. And uh, I had a 
not great time at Blue Sky. Um, I just didn't jive with the studio culture at all. Um, so mm. I wanted to do something that was like purely me. So I was just like, all right, what's the most self-indulgent thing that I could do? And I decided that that meant um, like emo kids, goth kids, uh, Halloween, My Chemical Romance, a spirit Halloween store, and Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Um, and so I just mashed all of those things together. And it was the first year that Inktober uh, happened. So, uh, right, yeah. I was like, okay, well, I like drawing in my sketchbook. I like using ink and pens. So I'll do that, but I'll come up with like some characters to draw for Inktober and like just came up with a new bunch of characters. Um, and I drew them uh, the whole month and ended up falling in love with them. Uh, and so I kind of put them on the back burner as like that internship ended and like focus more on getting a job and everything like that. And once I felt like I was stable in my career uh, as a storyboard artist, I started putting together pitches and I originally wanted to do Halloween as a limited series or like something like Over the Garden Wall, where it's like a special mm. that you could show once a year. Um, and uh, so I was pitching it for animation before it was a book. Um, mm -hmm. And I got really lucky. Somebody reached out to me on Twitter after I posted a really salty tweet about the industry and how my I wasn't getting any traction. But they reached out and were like, hey, we like this. Uh, I'm an editor for Penguin Random House. Um, would you consider doing Halloween as a comic instead of a TV show? And I said let me get my rejection letters from these studios I'm waiting to hear back from, and then let's go. Uh, so that's what happened, was I got my rejection letters from the studios and <laughs> was like, all right, let's do a comic. And they were like, great, let's do a comic. That's amazing. That's so cool. What a, yeah. what a strange way to have, like, uh, things turn around. Like, yeah. to, to literally go from this thing that went wrong and then throwing that out into the world and like this thing went wrong and then someone was like here you want something to go right here yeah, <laughs> and, uh... literally <laughs> that's so funny yeah it's so it's it, it goes to show that sometimes it's okay to just kind of share online things that don't go your way i feel like personally i am still very much afraid of saying when things aren't going right on like any type of social media but it's kind of cool to see that like for you being like like vulnerable in a way where it's like oh this isn't going where i wanted to go like it kind of turned into a new opportunity um you mentioned the, something about feeling like comfortable or like stable in your career like at what moment in your journey as a professional did you feel like you were stable um i felt stable the year before things kind of blew up um huh <laughs> um, it didn't I... give you much time to feel good huh <laughs> no not really uh, oh, no. it, was, it was kind of like i started putting together a pitch uh at my at oh god what year was it it was like 2018 is when i first started feeling kind of good about things and then everything just started it was kind of the, the first moment where people started um, losing shows mm -hmm. with right. no warning. Um, and I was at Nickelodeon at the time. And so I was trying to pitch for like the shorts program and all of that. Um, and like 
the shorts program pitches were going like well, but then there were shows at Nick that were getting pulled and like we didn't really know why. So I started pitching around to other studios and then, you know, that's 2018, 2019 and then we're in 2020 and like things started blowing up. Um like after Nickelodeon, um I didn't have a job for longer than like 6 months. Like, I would say my first three years in animation, um, I would have a job for a full year, a job for a full year, a job for a full year. And then suddenly I couldn't get a job that would last longer than six months. Seasons got shorter. Shows weren't getting picked up for season twos. Or I was working on, like, a TV feature. Like, I was working on the Trollhunters movie. And, like, that has a finite timeline. There's not going to be another one. That was the end. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of stuff that was either finite or didn't get picked up for a season two. And then the pandemic happened. So um, everything was bad. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, that's so scary. Do you... So, but that's the moment when you... But that's around the time you got your graphic novel. Do you feel like that kind of helped you a little bit? Like, like psychologically? Like, like Um, mentally? You have that? Yes and no. Um, So I had a hard time finding work in 2020. Um, I was working on Monsters at Work. Which I loved working mm. on, but they weren't picking them up for a season two yet. Um, they didn't know what they were going to do, so everybody rolled off. And after I rolled off, there wasn't anything else at Disney that was taking new artists. Um, I struggled to find other work, so I was just kind of freelancing at a bunch of different places for super unstable, just getting little pieces of work where I could. And so I was like, all right, well, while I have all this time, while I'm unemployed, um, I will put my whole ass into pitching. So uh, as just like, I need to do something that maybe if I can't find a stable job, maybe I can pitch a show and like something will grab on and I'll have something to do. But it was, it was rough out there. 2020 was really hard. Yeah, that, (laughs) it's hard because finding your gig when you're like, like, inside and your network you don't have the means to hang out with your pals as much is all like so crazy right because i feel like a lot of times finding a gig i don't know what what's been your experience like looking for a gig and finding a gig like how would you describe the process of like looking for a job um i do a lot of asking around friends um Mm. And hoping for the best. Uh, I think because I've worked at so many different studios for such short amounts of times, um, I have a good relationship with a lot of recruiters. So Mm. I feel pretty comfortable cold emailing when I need work just to say, Mm. hey, I was working on this show a year ago. Do you have any freelance? Do you have any jobs available? You already know my skill set. So I would just cold email recruiters Mm -hmm. because... I already knew them. Yeah, that's that's funny. Yeah, I was gonna say because I feel like and that's also a question for you, Sean. I guess it's like for me when I look for a gig, when I'm like actively like hungry and looking for a gig, I'm just like asking all my pals. And I'm like, hey, sorry, uh, have you heard anything? Yeah, yeah, it feels it feels like asking for a favor sometimes, which is not yeah. how it should be because they can be in the same position and that i mean that can be that way for the whole rest of our lives that we you know just ask around and um really like uh once you get to a certain point it shouldn't feel like sticking your neck out for someone to be like hey uh 
you know, do we have any job, you know, talking to the producer on the show and just being like, hey, do, are, are we hiring for anything? Because I have some people that would be really good for this show. And, you know, once somebody's comfortable there. But I, I do think that um, the pandemic changed the dynamics a lot oh, of, going, of going from show to show because um, so much of getting hired and rehired is working in a place with 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 somebody and then they're thinking of you they're thinking of how fun it was to have you in the room they're thinking of like oh man they were a joy to work on on this show they have you on their mind and when you don't have that um like like when most of the time when i'm on a show all i see the whole time is maybe my to my board partner and my director Yep. Or it my if I'm directing the board artists and 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 the team uh like in in sectioned amounts unless there's like big announcement meetings. And um uh you just don't get to become friends with people on the crew as easily and it makes mm -hmm. uh getting new work harder. I don't know if that's your guys' experience. Also. Oh, it absolutely is. Uh, I briefly worked at a studio that I did not have a great time on and wound up getting let go. And I was like, all right, well, if I'm not a good fit for this show, did anyone tell the recruiters that I'm available? And they were like, oh, no, we didn't. That would have been a good idea. And it's like, wow, communication is really... To be fair, though, I know what studio you're talking about, and they're not the best about transferring <laughs> talent over. It's, they're a staple. They're, it's their little quirk. Yeah, but, but it's, it's not a it's, great it's, quirk it's, to have. But that's also, that's, that's also, that also speaks volumes to just the fact that, like, there's nothing wrong with communicating and and asking and and because most of the time people are thinking about a billion things throughout the day mm -hmm. and even though they should do something and, and let the recruiters know that people are available odds are they're thinking about a billion other different things and it doesn't yeah. hurt for you to be like hey i'm around you know whatever like did you say this and and they'd be like oh i yeah. meant to say this i like you like yeah sure i'll do that uh yeah yeah i mean definitely yeah. like uh i think people underestimate the power of reaching out and asking yeah that's very true i think it's because we're all so shy and we're like oh, oh it's so uncomfortable i've been so chronically unemployed and like bouncing between jobs so much during my career i am not shy about any of that just because it's sure. like survival that i can't have afford you, to be shy have you ever been shy though or is it just like do you feel like your personality has always been a little uh, more extroverted? I feel like I've always leaned more extroverted. I'm like very insular but not introverted. That like I'll mm. keep to myself but I'm not afraid to speak up for myself. I'm not afraid to go out there meet new people. I'm not afraid to like email people. Uh I don't like phone calls, but uh <laughs> I'm not afraid <laughs> to like reach out to people. So, uh, would you consider yourself an extrovert or first or a goth first? A goth first. <laughs> <laughs> Do you find yourself to be a pariah in the goth community for being <laughs> As an, extrovert? an extrovert? Yeah. <laughs> I think Do I'm a little like uncommon. Not one of but... us, you know. <laughs> no. I feel like goth are like okay. Let's talk goth about uh, for a little bit. I I feel like like goth are like you 
it, they're not that introverted. It's just like I, they want to be around their people. Yeah, I don't. Right? I don't think goths are as introverted as people think either. I think they just like their community, and so they're gonna stick to their <laughs> own and not necessarily go outside of it. But I don't think that means that every single one of them is an introvert. True. True. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. <laughs> but that is the perception that they're all that they're all every they're all shy and they're thinking about you know storm clouds in the moody. corner. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so what aspect of the goth culture do you uh identify with the most? Cuz for some reason I don't, I've never pictured you to be the kind of person to be like moody and think about sad thoughts. Um I am not a sad person, but I think about death a lot. Um I'm like fascinated oh, yes. by it. Uh I love skeletons. I have a pretty large collection of bones in my home. Uh <laughs> Yes, and they're really cool too. Like you have like a ton of like different schools too. Like you have like you have birds and like kind of like Yeah. Uh, um I deer, like Yeah, I've stuff? one of my favorite skulls that I have, I would say, are uh I have an impala that I really love and uh I have a Mako shark jaw that I'm obsessed with so yeah if you come to my place there's just bones everywhere and you have a little buddy skeleton that you dress up for every I different do. time of I the year a... <laughs> i love it so much i have a five He's foot tall favorite. skeleton um his name is bonji <laughs> he's a he him lesbian and uh <laughs> he uh sits at my kitchen table year round and so uh i will dress him up for the different seasons so like summertime i'll give him a little baseball hat and sunglasses and during halloween being a skeleton isn't enough so i'll put like a witch hat on him <laughs> i love it so much i actually i'm so jealous i've always kind of like i don't know what it is there's like a, a certain type of people that and you can see it in kids i've seen like uh videos of little tiny little kids running up to skeletons and giving them a hug Oh yeah. There's multiple videos like this. And I I don't know what it is, but I, I am also part of like but I've never owned a skeleton, so um hey, tis the season to change know. that. It's October, baby. Time to go out and get That's that skeleton. True. And listen, yeah, we all they're... have skeletons inside of us. It's it's about self love. <laughs> we all have skeletons in our closets. Uh oops, yep. not the right one. <laughs> no, that no, that works too. We all <laughs> we all have hidden <laughs> secrets to high five. I, I kind of wanted to to take a conversation back, like away really from fast goth? about away from goth. I I because I, I I know I could just ramble about this for forever, but um I also want to ask more animation questions. <laughs> <laughs> I I wanted to ask you about because so you talked about the internship you had at Blue Sky, and I wanted to know, and we were talking about finding jobs. I wanted to know what was it like for you to land your first gig in the industry. Um, how long did it take you? Uh, and what were the steps that you felt like helped? Yeah, you uh, so it's pretty spread out. Um, I graduated in 2014, and I had been applying to basically any internship I was qualified for. And um, so I was doing a story test for DreamWorks for their internship. Uh, they wound up rejecting me, but my test wound up getting me the attention of the Blue Sky recruiter. And so Blue Sky really liked my DreamWorks test, and they were like, fuck <laughs> DreamWorks, come hang out at Blue Sky. And I was like, okay, that sounds fun. What, what were they looking over the cubicle door? How did they Well, so see I, uh, Blue Sky's 
application period was after DreamWorks's. So uh, I was allowed to put my DreamWorks test in my portfolio as like another portfolio piece. So, so Blue Sky was like, oh, how did you come up with this? And I was like, oh, it was actually for a DreamWorks test and for a different internship that I didn't get. And they were like, all right, well, we like it. So screw them, which was really funny. And then I found out that I didn't jive with the studio at all. So I left. I did the whole internship, but um, by the end of it, they really liked all four of us. Um, And so they brought us all into a meeting and they were like, hey, um, so we love the work that all of you have been doing. However, we don't know, we don't have jobs for all four of you. So we want to extend your internship to see if we can like place you on a movie and see if you fit, Mm -hmm. kind of do like a little bit of a casting call. Um, and I was like, oh, well, actually, I'm going to make your life easier. I'm going to pull myself out and I'm just going to end on my original end date. Um, and they're like, oh, did you find a job? And I was like, no, I didn't find another job, but I'm that unhappy here that I would rather go oh. live with my parents. And look my f- drop. So, yeah. So so <laughs> we don't we don't have to get specific about this studio, but I'm I'm curious what are some working conditions at a studio that are big red flags to you that that um, make you go like this is not the culture for me. I think a lot of it was because I was a early 20 something non-male and there was it was like all 40-year-old men um, who are all dads and like there's literally wow. nothing wrong with that but I didn't have anyone to connect to there was nobody who was oh, on my level yeah. um, and it just like I had a really hard time making friends even though people mm. were nice I just couldn't connect with the people who were there and I couldn't connect with the material that they were making and it just I I'm from California so uh my all my friends all the connections that i had are all in california so i was suddenly on the east coast where i had zero family no friends uh and then i wasn't making friends at the studio and so it was just like oh god i'm so alone uh so it was like the aloneness that really like more than anything else um i felt so isolated that like the culture of Greenwich, Connecticut is a Buffalo Wild Wings and golf courses as far as the eye can see. Sure. <laughs> and I, I was like, I'm going to die here. Uh, so I left. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to die here. <laughs> Suddenly you turn 90 years old. And it's right. Like your but life like, is it's over. like, God, if I stay here, I'm going to blink and I'm going to be 70. And like, yeah. I couldn't deal with it. Uh, so I went back to California I applied for a ton of jobs. I tested for a million jobs and I didn't land anything until the next summer. So it was like oh, a full so that's year. A, so it's a full a year. That's that's good to hear because I feel like sometimes you know when you're in school and you're like ah I got to find a job right away or else I'm like a failure and it's like no, like sometimes it takes time. Oh, to- absolutely. Yeah, it took me a full yeah. year. And even then, um, I didn't land a full-time job. I landed another internship. Oh, where at? Pixar. Oh, right. Ooh, the, uh, the, the fame <laughs> Pixar internship. Well, what did you, what was the, um, did you do story? Story, yeah. Um, and I had a great time at the Pixar internship. Uh, oh, that, great. Like, I, 
I loved our mentors. I loved my other interns. Like we jived so quickly and I'm still friends with a lot of those people that like, I, I just had a really good group who I quickly got along with and my mentors were really cool. Um, I was still around friends and family and like my home life wasn't as stressful as like being so isolated as Blue Sky. So even mm. though I was still doing internship work, it was just like, oh, I'm like way more comfortable here doing this again, even though I would rather yeah. be working a full time job. This is better. Um, but yeah. what was nice, too, is that like for Blue Sky, I feel like because uh, my school didn't teach storyboarding that much. So mm. Blue Sky, I felt like I got a crash course in the technical aspect of storyboarding. And Pixar gave me a crash course in the storytelling aspect of storyboarding. So powers combined made me the storyboard artist that I am today. Oh, that is so cool. Do you, uh, what school did you go to? I'm just curious. Uh, I went to San Jose State. Oh, I think we had a couple of guests who went to San Jose State. Um, Old Shrunken Headman Club. <laughs> <laughs> Re- uh, real fast, what are pros and cons for San Jose? Uh, it's cheap. It was local. Uh, the people who go there are awesome. Um, cons, the curriculum, uh, when I was there at least, was wildly unfocused. The mm. school is pretty underfunded, not very well run. But I think it's better now. Mm, I've heard ever... good things. I've heard they act, they have a real actual storyboarding class and that the students don't have to figure it out themselves anymore. Oh, that's cool. Have you ever given talks there? Or like... I gave a talk once, um, which is why I think that they have a little more uh, going on. Um, they have like a dedicated storyboarding teacher now, it sounds like. But when I was there, we didn't have a dedicated storyboarding teacher. We had an alum who would come back like once or twice a month to give us lectures. And that was it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's like, yeah, that's, that's a little sparse. Really cool. How, how, what did you do after the Pixar internship? Um, after the Pixar internship, it took me probably another six months to find a job. Oh, good to know. Um, was it, that, was it through any of your Pixar internship contacts or again, completely, completely random, slate? um, Whoa. completely different from it. Uh, that look they, at all these fresh starts that you're having yeah. and each time you manage to find a way to get into something. You're like I'm a real scrappy. warrior. Yeah. Yeah. You're I'm like, like a cockroach. You can step on me a bunch of times and I won't die. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. People who identify as cockroach are like, I, I feel it. Because I I used to also call myself the roach. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I probably tested for another like 10 different shows in between um, Pixar and getting my first full-time job. And so it was just like one day I was planning. So I have a cousin that lives in West Hollywood. And so I was about to call him to be like, all right. I'm just going to go down there for a month. I'm going to live with my cousin and see if I can like do any footwork in person to meet people and make connections and get jobs and then go from there. Um, and as soon as I put that plan in motion, I got an email in my inbox from uh, Warner Animation Group asking if I was interested in a job on the Lego Movie 2. So uh, oh. I was like, okay, the universe is listening. Um that's a sign of something. So I wound up uh, packing a suitcase into my car and going down like the next day to live with my cousin um, so that I could interview. It was like a Wednesday 
I drove down Thursday and had my interview Friday wow. to get the job. That's, Damn, so cool. that's such a fast turnaround. Yeah. And so it was like a week later, they got back to me and they were like, great, you're hired. Welcome to Lego Movie 2. That is so cool. How do you think they found your work? Was it, did you email them or was it like, were you, was it um, social media? I think it was a friend of mine from San Jose who was working at Disney at the time, knew somebody who was working on Lego Movie and forwarded my name. So it was like two or three degrees of separation that my resume just like made it through the right people and onto the right desk. And then in the interview, I think I made the right pop culture references nice uh that like because lego is is very pop culture uh satire so like i had just seen noel fielding do stand-up in san francisco and the director at the time was like i just saw noel fielding do stand-up in los angeles yesterday so like immediate connection and so we had very similar reference points and i think that helped a lot with that that's so true i feel like Every time I hear somebody having like a good interview or like a good general is like when you connect on like media that you both love and totally that's really cool. Wow. So so you started Inktober but all the way back when you were at Blue Sky. Yeah. So Halloween was already brewing for all this time. It's been almost 10 years whoa oh my gosh yeah that's so crazy uh how because so you've because you've put a couple of zines you've before you did the graphic novel yeah so the zines were collections of inktober drawings that i was like some of them were comics i bought a comic that was uh, not the graphic novel so i did a comic after inktober Um, okay that was around the time I started pitching. It was like before I started pitching, I wanted to do something that was mine and just to see if I could do it. I don't have a ton of experience in writing. I say that having published a graphic novel, um, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm not like I'm an artist and a storyteller before I'm a writer. Writing is like a means to the ends for me. But uh, so I made this 30 page comic just to see if I could do it and also use as a proof of concept for uh, pitching. Mm. So uh, Mm -hmm. I came up with this short idea and then drew this, yeah, like 30-page comic um, that kind of functioned as a pilot that I could leave in the room after I would pitch the show. Have have you used, um, like, I I know that you're coming out with this comic, but have you taken this comic and are, are you using that currently to pitch or do you have a deal with them that like for right now you're just doing the 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 comic um right now i'm just doing the comic but there are some irons in the fire of potentially oh. doing more and that's all i'm gonna say about that because it's too early no, to say anything good, else good. <laughs> that is so no, cool I, I, dude yeah i i think that there there really is no better asset that an artist has in pitching than to make a portion of the thing themselves because i think that there's a tendency with pitches that you pitch something and it's not all the way fleshed out and then they start adding stuff and then you're trying to compromise with them and then you lose track of like what the original heart is sometimes but if you have this thing that's unapologetically like this is what i made completely and like this is what i would make if 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 the studio didn't touch it at all and then it's sort of like here plop down on the table 
like you know do you want something like this <laughs> and yeah and that's what it would be i could like, make it i can't tell you how many meetings i had where i left with an executive saying like we can't do anything anything with this because it's too niche but if it was a graphic novel we could do something that's so interesting that's so, so like, interesting I, I hate that i have to like make it before i'm allowed to make sure, it because sure. i do want to make a movie or a tv show or something like that is the end goal for me is i want to direct but it frustrates me to no end that like i have sure. to make the entire thing before i'm allowed to make the entire thing um but at least in this case if the movie or the tv show never happens i do have a comic that's completely 100 yeah. mine are you would you say well, your first love is comics or animation um animation nice okay. that makes a lot of sense i love comics but um <laughs> and I would not be doing this amount of work if I didn't love comics. Um, but uh, yeah, I would say animation is first. So you're you're talking about directing, and you're currently directing. Yes. So um, I'm guessing when you when you said directing like a couple of seconds ago, you meant kind of like show running, show right? running, yeah. yeah. But how would you describe your job as a director right now? I like it a lot. This is my first directing job. So it's a lot of like organizing things to make sure that the board artist has everything that they need and feels comfortable and uh, when they start their boards and making sure that uh, going through the script with them and pitching ideas as we're going through the script of what things might look like. And uh, after a launch, then checking in with everybody to make sure that they're hitting their deadlines, if they have any questions, any new ideas that they want to pitch, um, that we can run through things together as we're going. Um, and then a lot of my job right now, because the board artists have all rolled off onto other things, um, is uh, a lot of revisions, doing a lot of revisions. Uh, just going through and making sure that everything is what the show needs because monster high is pretty linear um that like you get a lot of good episodic one-offs but then there is like a pretty big overarching story in the show so it's a lot of making sure that everything lines up with the lore and like mm. the overall story um which is really fun because i've never worked on something like that before that's really cool yeah i and monster high like character designs for that new series are just so cute they're so fun to draw um <laughs> yeah yeah i did the i did the the first pass of boards for the intro and i was just like man i love drawing these girls they're so cute they're really cute yeah i like drawing <laughs> the characters a lot yeah it's a cool style um so you, when you say you want to make sure your artists have everything what does that mean for you like um, how much how, describe a little bit like in the nitty-gritty like your how you prep for that um so i'm on a cg show so we have a lot of 3d assets um that we use and so if we have something already then we want to make sure that the board artists have it so like if we have a model of a set we want to make sure that they have the model so that um if they want to use it in their boards um they can so like we have fbx's of most of our main sets of like the school especially so if something takes place in the dorm room then they can put the whole set into blender and fly through it and take the exact screenshot that they need instead of having to draw the background and so they have the scale and everything exact or if we have a new character making sure that they have 
the the most up-to-date version of what that character looks like so how do you um go into a project where uh you're directing and you guys need to do something um on the show and maybe you're not as familiar with that process like i don't know how much you've used 3d and boards before but uh you know if you encounter something where you're like you're aware that this show needs to do this thing um how do you sort of learn on the job while being in like a um you know a director's position where you're supposed to (laughs) be the one that knows what to do i mean thankfully i've worked on cg shows before i would say i've worked on more cg than 2d in my Mm. career so i'm not unfamiliar with 3d programs i'm not like well versed in them i couldn't build you anything but if you were to give me Unity or Blender and I could put a set into it and go around and grab a screenshot, that's the extent of my CG knowledge. <laughs> but that's kind of all you need. Is yeah. like, you don't need to know how to build anything. You don't need to know how to place a camera. You just need to go know how to open a file and not mess with it. Yeah. It's kind of like playing a video game pretty much. It's like, okay, how do I like, yeah, navigate literally. this? Yeah. And then you just kind of like take cool screenshots. Uh, basically, if you want to train to be a director, uh, just uh, play Breath of the Wild and take some <laughs> really good pictures. <laughs> yeah. I, so, so you've used uh, how much 3D have you used in 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 your boards, B? Me? Yeah. Yeah. How uh, how much experience have you had? Using? I, I'm just curious. I a, like, uh, oh, just I thought, for, yeah. You know. I thought you were gonna ask Boss. That's why. But like, uh, that's cool because then Boss, you can like say what you uh, what's your take on that. But I've I personally. I only really worked in 3D on two shows, three shows. One was a French show where we were given the the sets in 3D and we had to get Blender and then you would move the camera around and stuff. And at the time, I didn't understand that lenses were so important. <laughs> so I was just like, hey, here are the bunch of shots. And then it was funny because I love the the supervising director on this show he's really great and he did a uh, film school so he's he's more of like he didn't study storyboards so he's more of a um like actual camera guy and he would redo all of my shots <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know you're just like oh man i i tried to do a wes anderson kind of shot he's like it's too flat all right <laughs> uh, so and then after that i guess i did wings of fire which was entirely in blender and we were really doing it all oh yeah you guys like did boards in blender right yeah we basically did previs which is uh for people listening who don't know what previs is because i didn't know what previs was before wings uh in feature um you have storyboards and after storyboards comes layout but in feature cgi for some reason they call it previs i think it's because they just take the character in the t-pose and they move the character throughout the scene just to show how big the character would be in the frame and they do the camera moves so that you can check if the compositions are correct for what the director wants but it's not animated at all it's just uh Mm -hmm. timing and 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 composition and making sure that all the elements are like framed correctly so in in so that's what we would do in wings of fire because wings was um uh we were supposed to work with an overseas studio 
and it was the pipeline from um uh clone wars from the cg star wars oh yeah uh, i've heard that they do that yeah which it's honestly pretty cool like um i think for a tv pipeline a prestige like hot expensive show tv pipeline that's pretty cool uh for feature since you have like people whose jobs it is to do previous i don't know if it's as necessary mm-hmm. um and then for monster high it makes sense that you would like um take the screenshots because i i took a couple of screenshots from what was available or like i was in blender and just kind of did the wings thing there um but yeah i don't know i think it's kind of fun when you get the hang of it when you get kind of into that groove i think it's kind of fun well how'd you like it moss um, yeah, I like it. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of drawing backgrounds, so it's nice. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, and when you worked on Lego Movie 2, like, you didn't have to use CG, did you? No, that was all 2D. Um, and we boarded in Photoshop, which I hate doing, um, that I learned how to storyboard in Photoshop, um, and I did that for a lot of my early career. Uh, Blue Sky, we did... Photoshop, uh, Lego Movie, we did Photoshop. My school, we oh did Photoshop. Goodness. Pixar, we did pen and paper, which was crazy. And then when I got to Nickelodeon, I had to learn Storyboard Pro. But now that I boarded Storyboard Pro, I never want to go back to Photoshop. I hate yeah, it so I, well, much. I, all of those other experiences <laughs> sound crazy to me. I've never, I've never been on a show storyboarding, and they wanted me to use Photoshop. That that uh, I don't know. Maybe it's done more than I think. But it's yeah. very common it's in very feature. It's very common in feature. Which is crazy because it's like what you're wasting so much time and. I think, okay, here's what I'll say. Uh, hot take incoming, y'all. But I think it's because Photoshop has the fancy brushes. But I think it's because fan- Photoshop has the fancy brushes and they don't want to let them go. <laughs> yes, but Starboard Pro has the fancy brushes too now. Last time I worked on a feature. So they have no excuse. Yeah, I did it all in Starboard Pro and I used all the little tones and all the little gradients to make it look nice and featurey. And they were very happy, so... Yeah, um, I've gotten lucky that I've been on a couple of projects that use both, um, like Troll Hunters, uh, Rise of the Titans, the movie, and then <laughs> yeah. Twits, uh, which is now going to be a feature at Netflix. I was working on an earlier version of the project where it was uh, an eight-episode mini miniseries, but those were both Photoshop first, but they were like, if you know how to use Flix with storyboard pro you can use storyboard pro and i was like great i'll figure it out so um (laughs) on my last like feature projects uh i used storyboard pro because there was no way in hell i was gonna use photoshop flix is so painful i hate flix (laughs) flix is the devil for people listening (laughs) it's a Uh, file management uh like compiling system it's similar to photoshop bridge but worse it's so crazy because for people, okay, for people listening, when you're in TV, you only use Starboard Pro because you can do everything in Starboard Pro. You can do literally everything. Uh, you can do an animatic. You can take your project really far. I even have a friend uh, who was a previous guest on this podcast, Etienne Guignard, Um, Check it out. Uh, who animated an entire short animated in Starboard Pro. So you can take things really far, but Flix... I think that's the other reason. I think that's the other reason why they haven't switched over, though, is because there's a lot of storyboard artists that are like, I don't want to have to do any timing. What you know, 
and, 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 and storyboard pro yeah once you start working in storyboard pro it's really easy to do timing stuff and then you don't have an animatic editor that's really needed as much because all the animators are doing there are the all the storyboard artists are doing timing of the boards i don't know uh, yeah so i think that's I, another reason i want to believe that but i don't i think well, the, <laughs> the actual reason that it is which i found out when i was working on spider-verse is that you flix allows you to have anybody work on any sequence and just uh note up a sequence very easily Mm. so because when you work in server pro you would have to get the file and it would be a huge pain in the ass but when you work with flicks you can just kind of like the all the sequences are available all the time on the server and you can just kind of like populate your file real fast and then just boop boop do a couple of changes on that sequence and upload it back and just count it just uploads the couple of a couple of jpegs and i think it just marks it really nicely for the editor so i think it's a production pipeline yeah thing. i think it's really helpful for editors and yeah. pipeline um oh no no i was talking more about yeah. the photoshop thing because i have no clue I, i've never worked with flicks but because photoshop um, is uh, used yeah. with flicks so the yeah. way it works is it, like whatever like, yeah you. yeah whatever program you're using it feeds into flicks um storyboard pro does not it will play with flicks, but it doesn't play nicely with flicks. Photoshop plays nicely with flicks. Mm. So that's why I think, yeah, it's a pipeline thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's just because you're 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 doing so many notes on scenes forever that um, yeah. that it's yeah. really easy if like someone else's sequence needs a little fix, but they're busy, but I'm not. So I can go in and be like, all right, Emmett needs a hat in this scene. I'm gonna put oh, a hat okay, on him yeah. real quick. Yeah, exactly. Or even just like they're like, oh, like they're smiling a little bit too much on this frame. Can we have it a little less of a smile? And you're like, fix. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. It's really interesting because uh, because because I have done. I've worked as a so as a director on Monster High. Moss. How many storyboard artists do you ever see for, per two. episode? Two. And how do you split your episodes? Do you, you know, do you kind of like split in like multiple little sections and give it to whoever fits best? Oh, so we or... don't split episodes. It's uh, one artist per episode. Oh, so you're overseeing two episodes at a time? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty, that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Are they staggered? Are they staggered or are they at the same time? Like, they're, yeah, I would say time? they're staggered. Um, we're also like towards the end of season two, so uh, right now it's it's a lot more like finishing everything up than overseeing new episodes coming in. But when that was happening, it was yeah, like it was it was staggered. Um, that like how often was it? It was like every couple of weeks they would kind of alternate, um, so they weren't on the same schedule at all. That's so crazy. But it's all I've ever known, so I don't I don't know what doing one episode at a time is like. Yeah, I feel because because uh, Sean, you've directed too, right? Uh, I have directed, yes, but in a different capacity. I've 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 done like directing and supervising directing on um, not shows and movies, but mm. on like uh, like an ad campaign or something mm. like that, where uh, I'm overseeing everything, like the 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 designers storyboarders and animation at the same time and i'm giving notes on everything 
versus just just the boards um i i haven't spent as much time doing um like overseeing boards uh, yeah, alone because i feel like um in my experience directing you like i had three board artists for 22 and on captain fall and we would divide up the episode in lots of little chunks and eventually you would build the episode with all of the little different chunks but it's kind of a pain in the ass because you you can only have one person working on the on, on a sequence hmm. at any given moment uh and if that person's taking a little long then you know the sequence is kind of like locked away with that person just because sure. of like the yeah. way the the files work and with wings it was similar we were kind of like splitting up the sequences and like lots of little chunks and you kind of like keep an eye on like different chunks but it's just a single episode um that was also 45 minutes which was crazy that's a lot that's a lot of episode For, yeah it's <laughs> i was just like i was just like we're you know every time you watch the animatic you're like wait they're, they're, i'm only halfway through what <laughs> Oh god! You know, I feel like getting through an eleven minute is already so much, right? That, it, that takes so much time just to, just to watch it through once. Yeah, like let alone do it another time. I'm assuming. I mean, do you, do you just you do you take really good take really good notes about like things that you saw, and then think, you go back to the specific spots. I don't know. Okay, so that's really interesting. Um, and most I want to know, like, if you feel that way, but I feel like because when you're overseeing an episode, even if it's long you have all of these like excel sheets and you all you know all of the scenes by heart and I, to the point where i was just like yeah it's e4 we're working on e4 right now and this the supervising director would be like i have no fucking clue what e4 is and I'm like, sorry <laughs> it's my chess move i take your bishop with my rook <laughs> uh, i mean we have similar um that even though we only have one episode per or one artist per episode we do split episodes into six pieces. Okay. So that as we're like, because that's really helpful for after boards are handed in, mm. that once board artists give me all six parts, I can split up the sections to revisionists. So I can have two revisionists working at the same time and we can get through that faster, which is nice. Or if I'm working with the editor and he's like, oh, there's a thing that you need to fix on... Like, this isn't hooking up on part three, and then I can just go into the file that's marked part three and fix that thing, and I don't have to open an entire episode's worth of files. Yeah. So that's really nice, is that, like, the files don't get gigantic. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure you're uploading it on a server, and that was a yeah. thing on Captain Fall. It took a million years every time we would just, like, we had to download it and, like, unzip it and then, like uh and then upload it back after you did the note so yeah you don't want the files to get too big we're getting uh real deep in the nitty-gritty y'all <laughs> like uh, i hope you're uh into this files conversation i hope you love programs <laughs> <laughs> hey <laughs> unfortunately if anyone listening wants to be a director it's a lot of project management you're gonna be yeah. working with files and you're gonna manage people you're not gonna draw as much so What's your hot tip on uh, <laughs> managing people? What's your management style? What's your philosophy? Um, I like talking to my artists. Uh, I usually will uh, want to do a couple of check-ins as they're going. Um, but usually, like, we try to find something that works for them. Like, if they don't need as many check-ins, it can kind of just be like, 
a message on Teams chat and be like, hey, you want to go over anything on Friday? Nope, I'm good. Okay, great. Um, and Or if they're like, oh, I need you to check in with me multiple times a week, then it's like, okay, I'll do a text check-in like on Wednesday and then we can do a Zoom check-in on Friday. And like, mm. then there's opportunities for me to talk to everybody, but I can talk to everybody on their own pace because everybody has yeah. different preferences. And I want to be cognizant of what everyone's preferences are. If somebody just turns in good work and just wants to be left alone i want to respect that but if somebody needs more help to keep them on track then i want to be there for them and make sure that like my check-ins are helping them hit their deadlines because they need that um but yeah. i yeah i like communicating with everybody um and i think that's a big part of directing is being able to talk to yeah. everyone do you also have like, okay, one of my favorite things to do when I was directing was like, sometimes you're like in these like long ass boring meetings or whatever. And then like your boys was like, oh, I kind of like need a shot for like the scene. And then you can just kind of like doodle like five lines and you're like, here you go. And then they like turn it into a beautiful drawing. And oh, you're like, yeah. that's my yeah. shot. <laughs> you did like literally nothing you did like just four five lines <laughs> yeah i just did that with a revisionist recently uh who's a freaking rock star um that i gave her the nastiest dirtiest thumbnail of all time and she turned it into something beautiful and i was like i don't know how you turned this into that but great job i'm glad we hired you <laughs> i okay i don't know if you guys have noticed but i feel like uh, revisionists were often very eager to prove themselves oh for sure and so they're like go like above and beyond and you're like whoa <laughs> <laughs> yeah i never want to make board artists do anything that uh they're not required to do like nobody's boarding things from scratch for me that like if i need a new scene i will always thumbnail it for them or like if i yeah, I'm always going to give them something to work off of. I'm never going to let a revisionist go in blind. That's that's super cool. I love that. I love that you're like kind of you're providing a lot because I feel like yeah. uh, it, it it's it really depends on the director. There's like some very like different like management styles out there. Yeah, and probably pretty hands-on. Yeah, we just say yeah. that you give a, a lot of notes. <laughs> um, not that I give a lot of notes. I get a lot of notes back from like animatic check so you rel you're relaying a lot of notes so i'm but they relaying don't a lot of you. notes yeah they're not necessarily coming mm -hmm. from nice. me yeah. do you ever massage the notes a little bit so they're a little bit more palatable like yes. you translate the notes yeah mm. yeah <laughs> um i like i like to do notes um directly on the file sometimes mm. um so i'll just like open the storyboard file and like i'll write i'll mark panels that need revisions and mark in the note and i'll just write it down in the frame or if i have a specific drawing or new expression in mind or a new thumbnail i can just draw it directly on the file for them to work through <laughs> so what is uh, i'm curious about what your take on executive and or or producer whispering you have because there's a lot of um times i think i don't know if you guys would agree with this where sometimes you'll get a note that's like this scene is off-putting and it or, or or like this scene uh should be more uh like a flick and and less like a swoosh and more like a flick or something <laughs> and, and, and just like a very abstract thing that you have to interpret and then give like actual tangible actionable things to your board artist to try to fix what is your method for trying to understand 
you know, or 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 relay, you know, a note that might be a, a little bit more of an abstract note where you're guessing, and then your board artist by proxy are guessing through you to sort of. Uh, yeah, that's always complicated. Um, I try to figure out like where the note within the note is that like if it's mm-hmm. this is too whatever, then maybe it's not what the note was but the note is that something isn't working here so i can figure out an alternative way to fix the thing that's not working while trying to address the note that was given um Mm. but i I think it's usually just recognizing that like it doesn't necessarily need to be that specific strange note the Mm. note means that something's not working so what's not working and how do i address that Mm -hmm. no that's 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 a good that's a good answer. Also, have you had any weird SMP notes that um are funny? I I usually like asking that just cuz SMP can be wild. You know I <laughs> have Off the top of my head I can't think of anything. Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> I feel like our team is pretty on top of that stuff. Um we have some characters with like disabilities and who are or, like might be neurodivergent so we have a lot of consultants and uh, making sure that things are held are, are done in very thoughtful ways so i feel like yeah. that stuff is all baked into the pipeline so we're not getting like everybody's really careful about stuff um which i think is great for our show um so we're not getting like weird snp oh. notes back because we've already figured it out yeah, because in in my in my experience, like I've been on stuff where they're like, he fell into the chocolate cake, and because the cake is chocolate, it looks like poop. That's such a <laughs> and it's, it's just something that's completely it's completely out of left field, you know, like and and you're like, but it's not like they blow the candles out. It's a, it's a chocolate cake. Yes, you see the context. Cake. You watch the rest of the episode. It's clearly a cake. <laughs> when you have anything that's like brown and like slightly creamy or liquid, everybody's yeah. just like, oh, no. And and then and it's then sometimes like, yeah, they come up with like the weirdest like side colors. They're like, well, maybe we can make a little bit yellow and you're like how is that better (laughs) how is that that even any better um yeah oh brown yellow even white i don't know like white is like it doesn't make me feel like it's not a weird body fluid you know yeah so uh, everything, everything blue all the time no matter what it is (laughs) (laughs) uh so funny yeah (laughs) dude i I, i've had i've had i've had notes where um they'll uh it'll be like okay um they'll they'll make a list of buildings that look phallic that we have to take out (laughs) like and, (laughs) and 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 in the style of the show it'll be that like you know there's a rule that there can't be any like hard edges so all the buildings are rounded and so <laughs> oh, how no. are you going to draw buildings that how are you going to draw buildings that don't either look like a breast or like some or something phallic <laughs> or something you know and so there was just half of our half of our notes were just no them. skyline the, 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 they were ju- they were just like this looks like a penis this looks like a penis this looks like a penis uh it's 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 brown and drippy uh you have it looks like poop uh, on a penis <laughs> like and it's like oh my god dude <laughs> i feel like that's such a big thing for like designers i read a comment on like some youtube drama and a designer was like you would be surprised the amount of time as a graphic designer the 
amount of time I spend trying to make things not look like a penis or so often. that's really funny yeah yeah it's like yeah it's, it's... <laughs> well I'm glad that you don't have to deal with that that's very good I'm glad that you're not suffering through that but I wish I had a funny story to tell true 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 it, it will happen uh, you wish for it, and now it's gonna happen. I know to you. this is—it's only my first director job, and we're not done yet. So uh, there's still there's still hope to get funny S and P notes. You know, we have a million questions for you, so I kind of want to try to get through a lot, as many of them as we can, because they're all pretty insightful, and they sure. will all take us back to your graphic novel Halloween. I like this question from our patron, Ajax the Abrasive, who asked, how do you remain focused and motivated enough to complete your own story and eventually publish it, especially in a setting more isolated than, for example, working on a show or movie with a large crew? I think if I don't stop, I'll die. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yes. That um, it's, I just, I always want to make stuff. And I've loved a lot of the shows that I work on, but I've worked on a lot of shows that I have not loved as much. And so there's just always this itch to make my own thing and that I don't think will ever go away. So it's just kind of like, it's just got to come out of me somehow. And I'm really thankful that I have a publisher behind me where like, I can make that a reality and I don't have to do that on my own. Um, I think that's a big part of it is that I have a publisher behind me is I don't have to do it on my own. I don't have to keep to my own schedule. I have people to report to and deadlines and mm -hmm. regulations, which is nice because I need rules to get things done. If it was just me and Halloween wouldn't, wouldn't be a book. Well, how did you how did you do it before you had those deadlines? Because you had to do you had to make the pitch and you had to like how um do you have any ways that you like I don't know motivate yourself to do a thing that's more than one drawing or a you know a board that's like um, not for work or whatever? I guess for like pitching when I was doing that, it was a lot of like in between jobs. Because my jobs have never been very long. So I would have time in between to do something. And I would need to do something with my hands. So I would work on a pitch instead. And I am I have been passionate about these characters for a long time. That like, again, this is something that I put all of my self-indulgent interests into. So it's like built to be fun for me. I which that. I think helps a lot. Yeah, I love that answer because I do feel like that's something that's very uh, common and at the heart of, of a lot of animation people who end up doing graphic novels is like you're a creator at heart and it's like when you work in animation, like the chances of you being a creator and running your own show are just so very small. It's so like, small. It's so like, yeah, it, people have compared it to like winning the lottery before and it's like, not that it's impossible, but definitely something to keep in mind in terms of like uh you have more chance of getting a project off the ground and done if you kind of just do it yeah that's yeah yeah yeah. i love when i use it or else i will die because i feel like that's how we feel <laughs> it's the only it's the real feeling it's like no i gotta like i don't know that's my legacy on this planet. yeah like i wish i i had a healthier answer to that but it's hey. Maybe creating is not healthy. I don't know. <laughs> uh, like, I wish I didn't work as much as I do. Like, uh, I work too much. I I think doing a full-time director job and doing a graphic novel at the same time is immensely difficult. And it's very, 
emotionally, physically, and mentally taxing. So if, like, I trip, then it's going to be a long recovery to get back on track. So it's it's a lot of time management. It's a lot of dedication. It's a lot of, like, resilience and tunnel vision you know, that I hope won't last forever. We talked about, before we started the show, we talked about how this new era of creative block it's us talking about our feelings and you said it's emotionally <laughs> really hard uh describe that for us a little bit if, you, uh, if you're comfortable <laughs> do you have like terrible moments when you're just like in bed crying you're like <laughs> no i'm not a big crier uh Aww. but you're like... not a real goth <laughs> i'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> more of a frowner not a crier yeah i uh default to anger more than sadness that i you know i do a lot of laying on the floor Oh, yeah, okay, that one. <laughs> oh, you're a floor layer. Okay, okay. Yeah, I do a lot of laying on the floor, and I've got a cat, so I'll usually, like, he'll be walking by, and I'll just grab him and roll him over and be like, hey, you have to cuddle right now. Surrender your serotonin. <laughs> Vincent, he's amazing. I love him so much. He's the best cat in the entire world. But yeah, uh, I'm a big floor layer. <laughs> <laughs> This is a pretty cool question from our patron Mallard who asks, what do you keep in mind when working on scary media for children? What do you think the limits are before it becomes too scary for the age group and have studio exec slash executives, have they ever pushed back on an element that they deem too scary? So far, nobody's pushed back on something being too scary. Even on the Z movie? Uh, yeah, even on the Zim movie, I don't think anybody's pushed back on that being too scary. Um, but I also don't think that that was built to be a horror movie. It's pretty hard sci-fi mm. that I think there are scary moments, but the Enter the Florpus is a sci-fi story. Mm -hmm. So it's not built into the gross out stuff and the horror elements are not really built into it. And like for Halloween, like... It's horror, but it's I draw inspiration from, like, Coraline and Over the Garden Wall and Nightmare Before Christmas, which is built for a younger audience where it's, like, spooky more than, like, horror, even though I love horror. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's meant to be more spooky than outright scary. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, I haven't really had any pushback on, um, I had some pushback on the language in Halloween, but not the content. Is it the F-bomb? It's not an F bomb. It's the it's the B bomb. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, really, that's so funny. Because wow. uh, my book is um, it's middle grade, so uh -huh. it's marked for I think like eight to fourteen year olds is what it says on the book. Mm. So it's like for kids, but there is some cussing in Halloween that like I there's a lot of like hell, damn, mm. piss a couple times. Um, and then, spoilers, uh, there's a pretty big bitch at the end, but it's not to anybody. It's an expression of... It's like Jesse Pinkman, when he's just like, bitch! Yeah, it's yeah. an expression. It's it's an expression bitch. of an emotion. It's not to anyone. And so I had a little bit of pushback on that. And they're like, some people might not pick up your book because it's a bitch in it. And I was like, those people aren't going to pick up the book anyways because it says hell on the cover. So they're going to be surprised by the bitch at the end after <laughs> right. they've already bought it. That's yeah. so funny. You know what you signed up for? It's It says hell in the title. You know, moving to America, I was so confused about how people are, like, very uptight about language. And, like, how there's, like, different levels 
Like, I didn't, first of all, I didn't know hell was a bad word. I was like, I don't know. Hell is just it hell. It shouldn't be. It's just, I, it's like, it's just a place. Exactly. I'm like, it's just a place. I don't understand. And well, I was, did you yeah. know, did you know that in, in, um, in like music videos, when someone says, God damn it, they don't bleep out the damn it, but they, they bleep, bleep out, God. out the God part. Yeah. <gasps> oh, that's so crazy. So yeah. taking the Lord's name in vain is also a gross word. I yeah. think that's... also there was a time where if you said asshole, they would bleep out hole, but not ass. That's so funny. What? What? That's so funny. <laughs> like butts are fine, but not the hole. The hole is forbidden. <laughs> yeah, the forbidden that... hole. That's so crazy. That's so crazy. I'm so... Wow, you learn something every day. It's confusing. Yeah, it's confusing. It's confusing. The the weird rules. And then you ask why. And then you're like, oh, there's just these like, like, it's, it's probably like the Christian moms of America, like, yeah. protests it or something. You know, like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. 100%. It's funny because I literally, I don't know if I already said this on the podcast, but I, I'm working on a short and it's two girls and they say a lot of like, oh, my gosh. And I'm like, for me, oh, my gosh. And it's funny because when I talk to UK people and and i've picked up the oh my gosh from the us right and uk people are like you sound like such a prude when you say gosh. I'm, like, I'm sorry that's how people talk and and but i was told like mm, are you sure you want to have them say oh my gosh because that might make the audience for your short smaller and i was like but but, but i think I think they say oh my gosh in gumball and then and then because you know there's like different tiers and it's like well yeah you don't get a g if you say gosh but you might get like a y7 or something and i was like this is so funny to me it's so funny to me i don't know <laughs> it's so crazy it's all like so stupid and arbitrary i think the kids can handle gosh no the kids can handle it the parents it's the, the parents, kids, the parents they, they cannot <laughs> it's too edgy too edgy oh. um i did i did a signing when my book came out at a bookstore in burbank called dark delicacies that's really cool they specialize in like horror stuff so there was this little girl who came in who was probably like six or seven years old, like pretty young, mm -hmm. who was there for another author who was signing books that were like for children, children, mm. whereas mine is like for children and teens. Mm -hmm. But she looked at my book and like whispered to her mom, like, there's a swear word on the cover. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> but then like she talked to me a little bit. And then by the time that she had finished up with the other author and like circled back around and was like, I want to buy your book too. Like I'm interested. And so I was like, all right, if your mom's cool with it, then I'm cool with it. And so her mom was like, yep, she can handle it. Oh, she can handle so... a couple of cuss words. That is <laughs> so cute. Yeah. Because I feel like when you're a kid, you want to like, you want to do the things that are a little, just kind of a too little, old a for little you. Too old for you. Yeah. You want to be like, you're curious. You want to know the secrets. Of yeah. The world. And I really like that the mom was supportive of that, of like, yeah, you can have a little bit of taste of something that you might not be ready for. Let's find out if you're ready for it. <laughs> Yeah, that's really cool. How was the um, so how many book signings have you done so far? And what's the experience been like for you? I've just done the one, but I've got another one coming up at the end of the month on October 30th with the author of The Glass Scientist, who I believe was on this show very recently. Yes, um, episode <laughs> came out, Sage Coutinho, uh, check out their episode. It's yeah, very they're cool. really great. Um, we have the same publisher, so we're going to do like a joint thing uh at the end of the month so if you're local to los angeles you should uh, come nice 
Yeah. Yeah, Sage is awesome. And um, yeah, I, I, you know, I bought your book when it was pre-order season. And because I moved, I think the book just got lost somewhere in the mail. Oh, no. So I'm going to buy it again. So um, I'm helping you reach that uh, New York Times bestseller. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're going to be at Lightbox Expo, right? Yes, but as a panelist, not as a, ah. I don't have a table. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I love, um, I, no, this is going to be great because it's going to be the first year I get to roam around and uh, Lightbox Expo, unfortunately, this episode's coming out after Lightbox Expo will have happened, but it's a really fun event to check out for like the artist alley. They're, everybody's so great. Uh, everybody has like amazing books and prints and stickers. So I can finally roam around in the artist alley and not have to worry about my table. And I think that's going to be pretty cool. Hell yeah. You know what? Let's uh, talk about Halloween a little bit more. That's so funny. This one was like an interesting question. A special raptor on Instagram asks, what's the Halloween elevator pitch? The Halloween elevator pitch. I used to describe it as 80s kids on bikes horror, but it's the 2000s kids on skateboards horror. Oh, so like, that's cool. Yeah, like like It or Stranger Things, that type of thing, except paste it up a couple of decades and put them on skateboards instead of bicycles. I love it. Do you think skateboards are still cool? <laughs> I think skateboards are still cool. <laughs> I don't know how to skateboard, but I think they're cool. I'm wondering if uh, if you're listening to this episode on Spotify or YouTube, leave in the comments, do you think skateboards are still cool? <laughs> because it's the 2020s, y'all, and we're too old to know. Uh, yeah. Dude, I used, to, I used to be so scared of skateboarding because all my friends that skateboarded broke their wrists and arms and stuff. And I was like, but that that's my drawing wrist. And so, so like, I, I was always like, I wanted to be a skateboarder, but I was always like, I'm definitely going to break my hand. And then, but I want to be an artist. So when I was a kid, so I, I, I rollerblade still sometimes, um, not often, but I did break my wrist as a kid rollerblading. So Ooh. that's a real fear. <laughs> And, and and is that why you rollerblade a little bit less or is it just because um, you love working so much? I think it's just there's not as many places to rollerblade anymore. Like, I guess oh. I could go to a roller rink or something, but roads aren't great to rollerblade on. There's always a security guard chasing you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's also just hard to like put skates on and take them off and then you have to carry them and they're kind of a hassle. Yeah, I can see that. They're like so chonky. Whereas like a skateboard is just like one thing and it's uh lighter and you don't have to take your shoes on and off. That's you should get Heelys. So true. I should get Heelys. That's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Heelys are so fun. <laughs> oh my god. I, I I cannot wait to see you wear Heelys. Oh my god. <laughs> I'll just be like sliding around. I'll be like, oh, they're a ghost. Daryush creates on Instagram asks, uh, what was the scripting process like for Halloween? I'm really curious about that too. Like, how'd you write? Like, do you write your whole script? Do you just kind of like take it one page at a time? Yeah, I write it like it's a TV script because that's what I'm used to as a storyboard artist, that I'm used to working from like a completed thing. My script doesn't need to be final, final, but I, yeah, I use final draft on my iPad and I'll write it like a TV script that I would get to storyboard from mm -hmm. and then go from there. 
usually like every version I'll kind of I'll get notes back from my uh, editor and like I'll address any notes in like a second draft of the written version and then I'll address notes in thumbnail pencils inks so I, I'm like constantly revising as I go but I usually like to have a finished version of the script before I start drawing uh do you get notes from your publisher or is it just notes that you give yourself Notes from my editor, yeah. So I have a, I work with one editor from Penguin Random House, um, who's great. So I turn everything into him. He is great about like giving me notes, having questions about things that readers might have questions about, or if like there's story issues, we can hop on a call together and talk through it. Like he'll he's he's usually available to like talk through story stuff, which is helpful because I am not a natural born writer. That is so. Cool. So it's nice to have someone who knows what they're doing. Yeah. How did you get paired up with him? Was he the one that reached out to you? He's the one who reached out to me. Um, Yeah, he's the one who found me on Twitter and reached out to me. So he's been the guy through the entire process. The guy. The guy. guy. Chris Hernandez, shout out to you wherever you are. Chris! Hear this. (laughs) I don't know. Leave a comment. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't. <laughs> this is a quick one, but uh from ordinary Ruby fan. Do you plan on making another graphic novel continuation of Halloween or one that takes place in the same world slash universe? Yes, I am deep into book two as we speak. Book two is Woo. is happening. We don't have a date for it yet, but I am in the thick of it. So it'll take place directly after the events of the first book. Like it, it picks up the morning after. Uh, do you, do you have, can you, can you tell us how many books you have planned total or is it a secret? Um, I have multiple books in my brain. Currently I have a two book deal. So okay. uh, we are guaranteed two books. And if you want more, you got to buy the books. Ah, everybody buy the books buy the books if you want more halloween tell your friends uh tell your mom (laughs) draw some fan art make some noise yeah Uh, that's ask your mom whether you can handle it uh comment on comment whether skateboarding is still cool buy the books (laughs) skateboarding still cool (gasps) so this is a little bit of a broad question so this is you can answer this however you want but Tomules.art asks any tips for people trying to get their foot in the door of the art world. So I think the art world means like both animation and or comics. Draw things and talk to people. I think that a lot of people have the art on lock. They don't have the talking to people down. Um, So talking to people can be anything. Like it doesn't need to be business networking. It can be making friends and building a community online. It can be building a community locally and go from there. But you have to make friends. You have to make connections in whatever art community that you're in. You have to talk to people. So true. And it is hard to talk to people. (laughs) It's very hard. But um, I can guarantee that everyone else also thinks it's hard. So you're not alone. Lass Rindink asks if you have a favorite Halloween movie. Favorite Halloween movie? That's a great question. I really like Trick or Treat. It's a classic. I like Nightmare Before Christmas, obviously, which I actually think is more of a Christmas movie than a Halloween movie. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's about Christmas, not about Everyone Halloween. Don't fight about this in the comments. <laughs> 
I know. I'm here to start fights. Yes. And I remember before Christmas is a Christmas movie, um, and I will die on that hill. Um, I really love... I watch Over the Garden Wall every year. I love... What do I love? I have a bunch. I love Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus is great. I love all the hokey Disney ones. Um, but I, And then I also love, like, horror stuff. Like, I love uh, stuff that's not necessarily Halloween-related. But um, I like Scream, and I like Hellboy, and... Us. all kinds of stuff i like monster movies monster movies are my favorite yeah monsters are great i love these like trends on online of like humanizing the monsters you know like when you see like jason like being like yeah. all sweet i don't know those are so <laughs> fun they're so cute i'm really into chucky right now um <laughs> <laughs> Chuck is so weird. I still have to get into it, but every, I'm I'm I don't know. There's something about Chuck that I'm like, this isn't this is too out there. This is so crazy. It's really stupid, but it's yeah. really good. Ch- Chucky was Chucky was my first fear. Really? My first my first monster fear. Okay, no, my first fear was my parents trying to uh they 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 used to uh, chase me around the house and try to pinch me, and they and they they had a song that they. They sang. They, they That's go, so they creepy. Go, we, they, they'd say, "We pinch his butt. We pinch his cheeks. We pinch him all over." And and they would run. They would chase me around, and I would lock myself in the closet, and I would cry. But yeah, my I second feel like I've fear. Just heard like an origin story for you. Yeah. My, my my second my second greatest fear was Chucky. And I remember there was a time when I used to, I used to talk to my parents about I, I wish I had a a baby sister. And so for Christmas one year they gave they gave me a baby doll, <gasps> very progressive, very progressive. <gasps> they gave me this baby doll, one of the ones that you you, you fill with warm water so it's warm. And oh. and and I used to take care of this baby doll, but then I saw just a trailer for Chucky. Oh, oh my! God. And I had this baby doll in my room that was just, it would just sit there in the corner. And I just like there was all these nights where I just ran in crying, and my parents my parents got rid of it. But uh, yeah, Chucky was one of my first my first great fears. Okay, now oh hearing you say this, kind of now I realize I was I I was scared as as a child of a little plush toy, which was actually a little teddy bear that my dad used to have as his like blankie i guess you know like his like little favorite toy when he was a child but for some reason that little bear looked so evil he had like no hair and (laughs) and like and then his eyes were buttons and he had like a little like cardigan that was like crocheted but in very thick like uh like very I don't know. It just looked like it was not the right size for him. And I just, I don't know. I had nightmares about this little bear. Um, Can you draw this little bear? I, want to I will. This little bear he, like. he, I don't know. He had a huge forehead. He just looked a little evil. And, and it's funny because when you talk about your parents, like chasing you, wanting to pinch you, like my dad did a thing. I think it was my sister and I were like, we were like so hyper and we were, we were, we were playing nurse. We we're like, Oh, we're going to give you vaccines or whatever. And he was just like so tired of us, like tr- pretending to give him like vaccines. I guess that he pretended to be dead. <laughs> oh shit! Like like you like you gave yeah. him yeah, like we, a lethal injection. Yeah, oh shit! You gave... mix the serums up. Oh my yeah. god! You mix the serums up. <laughs> and then he like and but he like played dead for a really long time. So at first we were like, haha, he's joking. 
but I swear to God, he must have like laid there for like at least a good 10 minutes that for your like child brain, we started crying or like we killed him. That's so funny. And then he, Way pretended, to go, Dad. he pretended to be a zombie and chased us. <laughs> well, joke's on him. You didn't become a doctor and make doctor money. <laughs> right? So. Yeah. I was like, I can never give an injection to anybody in my life. Yeah. We were really scared. We were like. That's so funny. It's Yeah. It was so traumatizing as a child. But now that I think about it, like, it's pretty fucking funny. <laughs> Do you have any crazy stories? Have your parents chased you? <laughs> No, not really. Good, good. This is that's um, good. <laughs> my my parents were not into like scaring at all. That I'm the absolutely the weird one in my family that I love horror. That I found that on my own. My parents hate that stuff. That's so funny. Horror will find a way. Yeah, I am the stereotypical goth middle child in a family of jocks. Oh really? That's so yeah. funny. That's so funny. Oh yeah, and you were also like a party college kid, right? I was, yeah, uh, partied a lot in college. Um, so I'm like a weird, like frat goth. I love this. <laughs> oh my god, frat goth. That's so funny. Oh my gosh. Would you say any of your characters in Halloween is a frat goth? Uh, probably Miles yes that's right he it's funny because i always imagine him to be like a little bit more like emo and sad but i guess he's more like of a frat boy i no, guess no he he listens to ska music and uh -huh. uh, when he turns 21 in vampire years he will be playing the beer pong and doing keg flips and stuff <laughs> that's so funny that's so funny he's my fave i love him yeah he's not emo at all He's not, yeah. <laughs> it's just because he's a vampire. You make the association, right? You're just kind of like, oh, Edwards, yeah. I guess. <laughs> so how do you, as somebody who is currently playing around in the world of vampires development-wise also, how do you decide what rules to keep and what to break or, and what rules to maybe like add your own thing that doesn't exist? Like how strictly do you keep within the existing rules of monsters and how much do you want to explore creating new lore i'm kind of in the same school of uh what we do in the shadows where i try to stick to classic monster lore but i will break the rules if it's funny or i will get rid mm -hmm, of things mm -hmm. if they aren't funny mm, nice so it's it's like rule of cool that like if i think it's fun and funny then i'll keep it or get rid of it based on what i want yeah, I like that Halloween is like really funny. You have like really fun character moments. Your characters are great. How do you approach comedy? Like, how do you pace your comedy when you write? Um, I try to write it uh like as realistic as I can. I guess not like realistic, realistic, but I want my teenagers to feel like believable teenagers. So mm -hmm. the comedy comes from things that they say or the situations that they're put in rather than like, jokes or slapstick necessarily like it's all situational because mm, yeah, i want it to feel like you're hanging out with your friends mm, yeah that's great i was gonna ask you this question from your friend elliot on instagram what was your favorite part about turning halloween into a graphic novel um just that i got to do it um <laughs> that somebody finally said yes to me after pitching it like a billion times somebody was like yeah let's go and then i got to do it i love building out the characters i love um especially now that i'm in book two i get to expand the world beyond just the suburbs 
So um, I'm hyped for book two and where that's going to go. Well, that answered the question from <laughs> at Super Super Ryan sixty four, who was like, "Is there anything you can say about Halloween 2? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we're gonna go beyond the suburbs in book two, so uh, get ready for some crazy shit. <laughs> I hope we're gonna go to hell or something monster or a farm. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna go to a pumpkin patch. They already went to a pumpkin patch. They're gonna go to a spirit Halloween store. Oh, that's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> At Adriosa Gaming on Twitter asked, "What was a surreal full circle moment that you experienced?" Oh, working on Invader Zim for sure. Oh yeah, that like I was a massive Invader Zim fan growing up. Uh, so getting to work on the comics and the movie was like some real full circle shit just like man i get to do this and with the people who originally made it like it's not getting rebooted by somebody i'm working with the people who made the original thing and i think that well, how, that was really cool how did that dream come true happen like how did you get get on to this dream come true thing so i met Aaron Alexevich, who was the lead character designer and then also the comics person when the comics eventually started going. I met him at Comic-Con in 20... 2008 is when I met him. Mm. It was my first Comic-Con. I was graduating high school. And so I met him at the Slave Labor Graphics booth because I loved his comic, Serenity Rose, which is really good. So we just followed each other on social media and kept running into each other at conventions. So he became somebody who I was just like convention friends with, internet friends with. And then mm. by the time the Zim comics were happening, he was drawing them, but he didn't want to do all the line work. And he's like, all right, well, Moss has really good lines and I know they're looking for work. So let's see if Moss is available. So I got to do the line work for the first five issues of the Invader Zim comics with him doing all the pencils, which was fun. And yeah, so from that. there, yeah. yeah uh, that's so sick. That's and then so from cool. there, um, Oni Press wanted to do a panel for like the return of Invader Zim. So I got invited to go to that. And uh, so that was when I met Jonan and a bunch of other people, Ricky Simons and yeah, a bunch of Invader Zim folks. Uh, so I just became friends with them after meeting them and so by the time the zim movie was staffing up i had already done my internships at blue sky pixar and worked on the lego movie so i had the boarding experience to back up the mm -hmm. invader zim fandom that i had in my body so that it just <laughs> like <laughs> i was feel, feel like i was built for it um in a way that like i didn't know it was going to happen, but somewhere in the universe, something knew it was going to happen. And so, yeah, it just, I had built up the right parallel skills and the right parallel relationships so that when they converged, that it could work. That is so cool, dude. That is, like, so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still can't believe, I don't know. It's crazy. When you grow up reading somebody's comics, and especially because when Jonan was pu publishing uh johnny and squee and and everything else like like there wasn't like he wasn't accessible on the internet like 
like he is now in a way mm -hmm. with like Twitter and Twitch and all these. Like now, if you're a big Jonan fan, you can go and watch him stream. Yeah. Which was absolutely not the case back in the 2000s so it is kind of crazy to be like whoa we you know like he's around <laughs> you live in the same world as right? this person yeah yeah it's so crazy and i feel like that's just happened more and more as i've gone through my career it's like i'll meet new people and be like oh my god you did this thing that changed my life as an eight-year-old like oh my god it's so crazy it's yeah crazy and it's funny because i've been on that side of like i told like one of my coworkers, I was like, wait, you worked on Ariel Monsters? That's crazy. I was obsessed with the show as a little kid. And, you know, and they're like, oh, cool. Yeah, that was a job. <laughs> you know? It's so loved, funny. I, loved, I fucking loved that show. I yeah, so ruled. That yeah. show is, oh my God. I actually asked, um, I think it's okay for us to say that on um, the internet, but um. I asked that Nickelodeon, I was like, oh, can we like reboot? Like if there's a reboot, that's going to happen. Please, can it be our real monsters? And they were like, ah, oh, it's tied up. It's tied up and legal. So. Fuck. I know. How, so, how could it possibly be? I know. I'm so sad. I, I just want to draw gross monsters all day. It's, it's, it's like like somebody has the contract and they like they're like I'm running away to you know <laughs> South America and I'm hiding in the forest and you yeah, forget they, me. When and they, they say that the, this the, parchment. it's tied up in legal, what they mean is that the contract is like tied to a train track and somebody's gonna run it over with a train. <laughs> save me! Save me! Yeah, it's literally it's it, it's literally tied up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't, I can't reach it. It's too far. This is okay. So, Adriana Gaming asked a bunch of questions. I'm not gonna ask all of them because um, we have other people asking questions too. But I, uh, I, I wonder. That's that one's kind of funny. What do you think of the Fresno Nightcrawlers? I love them. Top yes. top five favorite cryptid. Top five favorite cryptids. Yeah, they're so cool. Whoa, I, I have never even heard of the Fresno Nightcrawlers. Let me just uh, populate it in um, the. They're Jamboard. just these little guys. Oh. They're they're really cute. I these think, guys. And they're very they're very slow. They're they're. Whoa. So if you're listening on YouTube, uh, make I'm trying sure them right now on YouTube. We have so we already kind of answered this question from Matt Fenart with L48. Zero seven about destruction writing your comics like you said you kind of read it like a tv show yeah but i kind of like their other question which is how do you go in trying to find a good publisher because you had a relationship with oni press like how come you ended up going with um penguin because like, yeah. by the time I was doing this, and by the time I thought um, about maybe doing it a graphic novel again, um, well, there's two reasons. So the first reason is that um, all my contacts at Oni Press had left the company uh, by then. So I didn't know anyone any there, anyone there anymore. Um, I probably could have reached out to somebody and found someone to pitch to, but um, I didn't know anyone anymore. So the second reason is that uh, my publisher reached out to me. I didn't reach out to them. I am extremely lucky that I didn't have to do any of the legwork. I didn't have to do the whole query process. I didn't put together an actual book pitch. They came to me and they were like, great, 
you looks like you have some comics experience on top of your animation experience. Your resume's great. Um, we don't need an official book pitch. We'll just take your animation pitch and go oh, from there. Oh, man. That's so cool. So oh, that's sick. I skipped a huge part of the process, so I don't have a lot of information on how to find a publisher because I didn't. Yeah, that's that's the dream, dude. Well, I think we already kind of talked about your writing schedule. That was a question from Angel Pearson. Thanks for your questions, y'all. Uh, very much appreciated. And, you know, we asked you all these questions from our followers, but the podcast has a question for you. Okay. So, about creative block. Um, do you love us? No, joking. Uh, we're we're going to ask you if... Uh, <laughs> Do you ever have creating, do you ever face creative block? And if you do, what does it feel like and how do you deal with it? Yeah, I get creative block writing more than anything. Um, I'm just not good at it that I feel like if I sit down to draw, it's so ingrained in me from storyboarding and drawing comics that I can usually figure something out to draw, even if it's not good, even if it's not something I'm going to post. Mm. But with writing, it's not something that comes easy to me so I get blocked frequently so if that happens I usually try to refresh myself and like refill my creative well so I'll listen to music that inspires me I'll go to shows I'll go to museums I'll go to all movies um hang out with friends uh or i'll just like info dump in a journal like i'll leave my house like getting out of my house is a big thing um that if i can go take a a journal to a coffee shop or somewhere and just sit down and vomit on the page uh even if it's just like bullet points um just to get something out that i can organize later i find that that helps a lot yeah going out and not looking at a screen is the big thing yeah Screens were, it's tough. I feel like now, I don't know. Especially, that's the one thing, I don't know, I probably said this, like, especially early on in the podcast, but that's the thing I missed about living in Japan is, like, I didn't really have good internet on my phone. I think I didn't have internet at all on my phone when I lived there. So you'd have to go do things. Yeah, exactly. So, like, you when you, when you, when I would go out to a coffee shop, I would have no means of distraction, and that was pretty awesome kind of miss that because it is true like the screens are so distracting mm -hmm. and also just looking at a blank page i feel like is not helpful yeah. yeah 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 sometimes you have to to force yourself to write some bullshit and then you're like okay now i yeah. can write something better than this <laughs> <laughs> do you ever uh call your friends or like brainstorm with um some buddies or are you just kind of like not as often as i should that's probably a good idea I should start doing that. <laughs> I was just wondering if you're more of like a creator on your in your own solitary lair. I tend to work by myself, but um, I do like when I work with people. I like coming up with stuff with friends or bouncing ideas with friends. I think that's really helpful. I just don't do it enough. I love I I love that we got to talk like into like really very intricate details about you being a director about like the intricate details of like the software difference between feature and <laughs> tv and like your writing process have you ever worked on a board driven show nope 
Yeah, so that must have been like I've never. I also never worked on a board driven show, so like, like starting to write is like so scary at the beginning. It's so scary because yeah. I've had people who are like, "Oh, but you're a board artist, isn't writing easy?" It's like, no, I don't work on board driven shows, so it doesn't yeah. come easy to me that like somebody gives a fully written script to me every time. I've never had to do that, so I think um, anybody who does work on script driven is a rock star or on board driven is a rock star and uh, should be paid uh, three times as much as what they're currently getting paid a hundred percent those shows are so hard there's there's a there's not very many of them i think that even fewer now but that that is a difficult some of my hardest jobs have been uh storyboard driven shows they're probably the most rewarding, but they're also probably the most like I hate myself. I don't want to work on this anymore. Kind of. Well, jobs. I mean, there's there's some interesting things that you can pull off. Like you can pitch a song, and then you get royalties for every time the episode airs. Like there's there's all sorts of like weird little things that like you can sort of make anything happen. You can you know pitch a storyboard driven show, and I mean, there's people, there's board artists that have pitched characters that they made up for the board driven show and then when they pitch it they they think of their them for the voice as the character and then they become the voice of the character that's happened on a few board driven shows it's it, it's interesting and also they're very rarely paid enough mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you are right not enough time not enough money that's animation baby it's animation yeah. baby yeah there there's not enough time to even talk about animation <laughs> so <laughs> Nichon knows what I'm doing and he knows I'm struggling but you can do it thank you so much boss for making the time to come on this podcast it was so fun yeah of course and uh, with that that's the end of this creative block Moss thanks for being our guest and sharing your story thanks for having me this was so much fun and thanks to our listeners. Follow us on social media at CRTV Block, where we ask for drawing prompts and questions to ask our guests. Huge thanks to our th- huge thank only one thank. Huge <laughs> thanks to our editor Clements for editing the podcast and Marco for helping us produce the show. And if you love our show, you can support us on Patreon. Becoming a patron gets you early access to interviews and access to your Discord community. Another great way you can support the show is to like, comment, subscribe, talk to your friends, your grandma about us, only if they're okay with swearing. Uh, Because getting more ears on the podcast helps us just uh, grow and um, that's uh, what we're trying to do. So click the link in the description of this episode uh, to access our Patreons and all the other social medias. I've been your host, V. And I was Sean, but tomorrow I'm going to be a husband. I'm getting married tomorrow. Oh, shit. Keep being creative and we'll see you next week. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs)